This episode could be triggering for sensitive listeners and contains mature content. Should you need any emotional assistance, please see the show notes for telephone numbers that you can call. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the official policy or position of the podcast. Any content provided by contributors such as the host, guests, bloggers, sponsors or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, company, individual or anyone or anything. Before we start, I want to introduce you to a cool new business. Have you ever been to a bar and thought, man, I'd really like a sign like that, if only it had a different slogan? Or have you seen a really cool coaster and thought, I love that, but I wish I could customize it? Or even wanted something unique like a personalized gift? Well, By Design Crafts is the place for you. Go and check them out on Facebook. I will post the link in the show notes. Or you can email them at bydesigncraftssa at gmail.com. Oh, and if you tell them Palsy or Decoding Cult sent you, you'll get a 5% discount. Exodus 20 verses 2 to 17 I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt where you were slaves. Worship no God but me. Do not make for yourselves images of anything in heaven, or on earth, or in the water under the earth. Do not bow down to any idol or worship it, because I am the Lord your God, and I tolerate no rivals. I will bring punishment on those who hate me, and onto their descendants down to the third and fourth generation. But I show my love to thousands of generations of those who love me and obey my laws. Do not use my name for evil purposes, for I, the Lord your God, will punish anyone who misuses my name. Observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. You have six days in which to do your work, but on the seventh day is a day of rest, dedicated to me. On that day, No one is to work, neither you, your children, your slaves, your animals, nor the foreigners who live in your country. In six days I, the Lord, made the earth, the sky, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day I rested. That is why I, the Lord, blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Respect your father and your mother so that you may live a long time in the land that I am giving to you. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not accuse anyone falsely. Do not desire another man's house. Do not desire his wife, his slaves, his cattle, his donkeys, or anything else that he owns. This is Decoding Cults, and I'm your host, Paul Z. This week we're looking at the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God, Part 1. In this episode, we will look at the origins of the movement, as well as a little background on the religious and political climate of the country when this movement started. This one is a bit closer to home. It happened in an African country.
Republic of Uganda is situated in East Central Africa. Although this is a landlocked country, it falls within the Great African Lakes region and also lies in the Nile Basin. This beautiful and culturally diverse country has a tragic history of war and corruption and is known as one of the poorest countries in the world. Around 2,000 years ago, this region was populated by African hunter-gatherer tribes who lived in the Buganda Kingdom. This is situated in the southern regions. There were also the kingdoms of Toro, Ankoli and Busoga, which made up the sum total of the country that we now know. The different tribes within these kingdoms worshipped lesser gods and spirits. In the 1830s, traders from East Africa moved inland from the Indian Ocean for trade and commerce. With them, they also brought teachings of Islam, but by the 1860s, Egyptian-sponsored agents would be deployed in order to gain foreign conquests. This happened in conjunction with the British explorers arriving in the region, who were searching for the source of the Nile. Between 1877 and 1879, British Anglican missionaries and French Catholic missionaries also entered the territories. It was at this time that Christianity was introduced to the people from this region. From 1886, a few religious wars broke out, first between the Muslims and the Christians, then between the Protestants and the Catholics. In an attempt to protect their commercial interests, the British Empire launched the Protectorate of Uganda. For those who are not familiar with the term protectorate, it is, quote, a state that is controlled and protected by another sovereign state, end quote. This protectorate initially covered the kingdom of Buganda, but it later also included Toro and Koli and Buniro, and lasted until 9 October 1962, when Uganda gained independence. It was also during this time where Christianity became the major religion of the country. From 1962 to 1963, there was great political infighting between the political parties and the traditional kingdoms within the region. These issues continued until the traditional kingdoms were abolished, a new constitution was put in place, and Milden Oboti was named the president in 1967. Although President Oboti was instrumental in the liberation of Uganda, his term was marred by the terrorizing, harassment and torture of his people. The relationship between the president and the head of the Ugandan military, General Idi Amin, started to break down. Idi Amin had found out that the president was going to arrest him for misappropriating funds. On 25 January 1971, while the president was at a Commonwealth summit in Singapore, General Amin led an army and military forces to stage a coup and overthrew the government. Idi Amin then became a military dictator. It is said that between 30,000 and 50,000 Ugandans were killed during his rule. As he exiled non-Ugandans from the country, a lot of the businesses and infrastructure went to ruin. There was also strife between the Christians and the Muslims in the country, as Christianity was being outlawed. General Amin's reign came to an end in 1979, during the Tanzanian-Ugandan War. Immediately following this, the country declared absolute freedom of worship. Following the end of Amin's reign, there have been a number of presidents who all had a dark cloud around their rule. There was the Second Congo War, civil war that they called the Ugandan Bush War, 
corruption, the AIDS pandemic, and anti-gay bills. During these tumultuous times, people would turn to religion for comfort. Uganda, having a predominantly Christian belief system, the highest percentage of which is Catholic, people would turn to their church, but one group would take their beliefs to a whole other level. Before we get into the leader's origin story, I would just like to talk a little bit about Marian apparitions. This is a, quote, reported supernatural appearance by Mary, the mother of Jesus, or a series of related such appearances over a period of time, end quote. Basically, it's when people claim to be visited by the Virgin Mary or other biblical figures and receive messages from them. Marian apparitions are said to have begun in 40 AD when St. James the Apostle stated that the Virgin Mary had supernaturally appeared to him in Spain while she was still living in Jerusalem. The Pope canonized this in 1730 and it was then known as Our Lady of the Pillar. During the 1980s, there were numerous accounts of seeing either Mary, Jesus, or other biblical figures by Catholic believers in Africa. In the 1980s, in the small town of Kibiho, in the country of Rwanda, there were a few Marian apparitions which came to several adolescents. Three of these visions were officially recognized as authentic by the local bishop of the Catholic Church. With this in mind, it is important to note that in 1986, Speciosa Mukantambana, a Rwandan girl, came to the diocese of Mbarara in Uganda, claiming to have a connection with the Marian apparitions from Kibiho. She was, however, not one of the seers that were approved by the bishop. She attracted big crowds of believers and spread her message like waiting for the revelation for a cure for AIDS. She eventually moved to Mbuye in the Diocese of Masaka in Uganda. In 1960, Paul Kashaku, a farmer with a small farmstead in the hill country, claimed that he had a vision. In this vision, his deceased daughter Evangelista had appeared to him and foretold him that he would be visited by, quote, apparitions from heaven, end quote. This came to fruition in 1988, when he claimed that he had been visited by St. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. He claimed that they had tasked him to use his land near the city of Kanungu as a gathering place for believers. Kanungu is a town in the western region of Uganda, about 404 kilometers from the capital Kampala. This town has now become infamous, and you'll hear why later in the story. Credonia Mwerinde was born to Paul Kashaku and his wife, Ferrazia, in 1952. The locals referred to as Kiridonia. She had two sisters and three brothers. She completed only two years at a local Catholic missionary school, and, for most of her teenage years, she helped her parents work the fields on their farm. For a short time after that, she worked as a house girl for a local businessman. She was said to be very quick to anger, prone to sudden violence, could wrap men around her finger and would often stray from her religion. In her early twenties, Crodonia fell hard for a local young man, but he rejected her. This rejection angered her so much that she broke into the young man's house and set all of his belongings on fire. When she was caught for the crime, they sent her to a mental ward where she spent a long period of time. The doctors there could not figure out what was wrong with her, 
and they eventually just diagnosed her as mentally disturbed and sent her on her way. What we need to remember is that during the 1970s, mental health care wasn't as we know it today. It was very much still in its infancy and only beginning to develop. And under the reign of Idi Amin in Uganda, I don't think there was great focus on this subject, so it's understandable that they would not be able to properly diagnose and treat her during this time. It is said that she was married at least five times, and had borne a son and a daughter by two different fathers. There were also indications that she had two other children, but there's no further information on them. The last man that she married was Eric Mazima. She had convinced him to sell his land and evict his second wife, to open a local shebeen with her in Kanangu. They called it the Independence Bar. A shebeen is an informal licensed tavern. In South Africa, they are very popular in our townships and are places where locals love to gather and drink and have a great time. At the Shabin, she brewed banana beer and kept the bar open on Sundays. In an IOL article in March 2000, Eric Mazimba stated, quote, She went to church only once a year, and Sundays were days for making business. She was after money, end quote. It was during the mid-1980s when Credonia allegedly committed her first murder. In a letter written by a family friend, it is alleged that she seduced a traveller that was passing through town, killed him while he was asleep, and took all of his money. It further alleged that patrons who came to buy beer early the next morning saw her scrubbing what looked like blood from the concrete floor. There were also rumours that she was sleeping with some of her patrons for money. Now, I don't know if there is some truth to this, but she would later speak about this in order to possibly model herself after Mary Magdalene, who was said to be a prostitute before she was saved by Jesus and became an apostle. In early 1989, after having owned the bar for around 10 years, the bar became insolvent. Following the closure, she claimed to have seen the Virgin Mary in a cave just outside of town and immediately converted to Roman Catholicism. Her husband was not convinced that her vision was real, and following many arguments over this, and the rumours of her promiscuity, they split up. She joined a group that was devoted to the Virgin Mary, which included Marian visions and end-of-days predictions and teachings. It was around this time that her father tasked her and one of his granddaughters, Ursula, to spread his message all over the country. The main premise of the message was that people needed to strictly adhere to the Ten Commandments of God. With the rise in religious prophets during this time, and making money off of desperate followers, I think Credonia had ideas of her own. Joseph Kibwetire was born in 1932 in Kambumba village in western Uganda. Not much is known about his early life, except that he was raised a Catholic. Joseph studied to become a primary school teacher at St. George's Teachers College in Ibanda. He married his wife Teresa in 1960, and they were both deeply devout Catholics, and even built a small church on their farmland where they could go and pray. Teresa stated that they had a very happy life and had 13 children together, but that would later change. Joseph was a relatively wealthy man by Ugandan standards. He owned lots of land and cattle. Joseph started his career as a primary school teacher, 
and worked his way up to assistant supervisor of schools in Barara Catholic Diocese. If you recall earlier in the episode, this is where Speciosa eventually came with her proclamations of her Marian apparitions. Being an ambitious man, Joseph became the chairman of the Public Service Commission in the Ancoli Kingdom government and eventually became the overseer for the district government of agricultural and construction projects. In 1980, he tried his hand in politics, campaigning for the Democratic Party, but lost to his opponent by a landslide. Joseph retired from his political career and returned home. He donated some of his land and funded the construction of the Nyakazina Secondary School, which was a Catholic school. He became the principal and professor of religion at the school. Being both a pious and relatively wealthy man, Joseph not only enjoyed preferential treatment from his local religious leaders, but was also well respected in the community. As his popularity grew, so did his ego. In an interview with The Guardian headlined Beyond Belief, Teresa states, quote, We were good Catholics, as we had been raised to be and had been all our lives. End quote. In 1984, Joseph claimed that he had been visited by Jesus Christ and the Virgin Mary. There are a few accounts of what this message was. In one account, he stated that the message had been that he needed to repent, reject sin, and pray more. In another account, he claimed to have been blessed by the Mother Mary and that those who would follow him would also be blessed. The last account that I found was that he had been given a mission to restore the Ten Commandments of God worldwide. Credonia had become aware of Joseph during her travels. She realized that with his popularity and political connections, he would be a valuable addition to the expansion of her teachings. In June of 1989, the paths of Joseph and Credonia crossed. There are varying accounts of how this happened. In one version, Joseph and his wife had driven to Nyamitanga to hear people testify about their Marian visions. One of these was Credonia. According to their own version of the story, Credonia had told Joseph that she had seen a vision in which she was told by the Virgin Mary that she would meet a man called Kibwetire, who would take her in and together they would spread her message to the world. Being a true believer, Joseph immediately believed her and brought her, Ursula, and her sister Angelina back to live with his family. The account by Joseph's ex-wife Teresa stated in an interview, quote, And then something that we thought was a miracle happened. In that year, a woman came to see us, who said she had got a message from heaven, and then she said that Our Lady told her that a man called Joseph would come, and that when he came, people should follow him to his home. Can you imagine how we felt? Our blessed mother had sent a message with my husband's name, and her name was Credonia, and we believed what she said was true. End quote. At this point, Joseph became her real first follower. A few days after Credonia had moved in with Joseph's family, she and the other ladies then moved into the main bedroom with Joseph and Teresa. Teresa later stated that when this happened, for a time they were happy. But after some time, she had not even been allowed to have any further physical contact with her husband. It was not long before Credonia's angry outburst started to surface and darken the Quibetiria household. Teresa's children would suffer under her cruelty and would be beaten by her, 
especially when they would not obey the messages from her visions. One of Joseph's sons stated, quote, Soon she was beating us all. My father was in awe of her and would do anything she said. End quote. In an effort to get the word out about their teachings, Credonia decided that Joseph should be the face of the movement because he was a very well-respected male and she would run things in the background. Their main premise was that believers needed to literally follow the Ten Commandments of God. Credonia decreed that Joseph and Teresa's children may no longer attend school as she believed that they did not teach the correct beliefs and that they needed to be homeschooled. Credonia also kept a very close eye on what was taught to the children and would supervise all of their lessons. The pair set out in the community to gain followers, and they were successful. With the political turmoil, many members had not lost faith in God, but had lost faith in their church, which made these teachings more alluring. By 1990, with a total of 27 members, Joseph and Credonia officially started the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. It started with small weekly meetings at the Quibetira home, and progressed to the point where some of the more devout followers would move onto the property to be closer to Joseph and Credonia and their teachings. The Quibetiri home soon became so crowded with followers that they started splitting families up. It is alleged that at one point up to 60 children were made to sleep in a tiny outdoor shed. The shed's windows were nailed shut and the children had to sleep on the dirt floor and some even developed scabies. For those unfamiliar with scabies, it is a skin infestation caused by a mite. Untreated, these microscopic mites can live in your skin for months. They reproduce on the surface of your skin and then burrow into it and lay eggs. This causes an itchy red rash to form on the skin. Later, the followers' mealtimes were changed from three per day to two per day, and they instilled fasting two days a week. Here we can already see the beginnings of how cult leaders control their followers. By taking the children out of school, we can surmise that they wanted to ensure that they only learned what the movement wanted them to know, and ensured that there would not be any external references to draw from and eventually question the teachings. Also, by regulating the followers' meals, they are able to exact an element of control over them. Furthermore, by splitting up family members, they could lessen family bonds and create an environment where they were more important than family ties. As their following grew, Credonia wanted to lend more religious credibility to the movement and thus set out to find clergy. Dominique Kataribabo was born in 1936 in Busheni, Uganda. He was educated at both the Kitabi and Katikondo seminaries and was ordained as a Catholic priest in 1965. The Loyola Marymount University in Mount Carmel, California, is one of America's top Roman Catholic colleges, and it afforded scholarships under a program benefiting third world priests. Dominic received such a scholarship in 1985, after being nominated by a Ugandan bishop in the Kampala Archdiocese. The Los Angeles Archdiocese contributed to the program by housing the students who received scholarships 
and Dominic lived in St. Anthony's Parish Rectory in El Segundo in California. He was also granted permission to conduct mass and perform weddings at the parish. A journalist who looked into Dominic's educational history spoke to a university spokesperson who, when looking into his record, stated, quote, he seemed to be pretty ordinary, end quote, and, quote, he seemed undistinguished, end quote. This, one could guess, means that there was nothing untoward that stood out in his records. He received his master's degree in religious studies in 1987 and decided to return home. Upon his return to Uganda, Dominic became rector at the Katibi Seminary. He was known as a generous and caring person and was well respected by his peers and students. There were, however, accounts that he seemed like he wanted more in life. There is even one account where he had forced seminary workers to dig through a swamp for ages as he had come across a stone that had shiny elements on it and he wanted to look for more. John Kamagara and his wife Scholastica were both devout Roman Catholics. They both wanted to be more involved in the church, John as a priest and Scholastica as a nun, but neither of them were successful in their endeavours. Despite failing in their efforts, they remained strong believers and continued to attend church in the Mbarara diocese. Scholastica was very involved in the church and was even the composer and lead singer of church music. The pair had a son named Joseph Kasapurari. It was on the son that they pressed upon all of their religious dreams and modelled him to become their religious warrior. Joseph studied at Katibi Seminary, and one of his mentors at the seminary was Friar Dominic Kataribabo. Teresa and Scholastica were acquainted with one another due to their involvement in the Mbarara diocese, and it is because of this connection that Scholastica, her husband, and her son came to meet Credonia. They were open to the teachings and decided to join the movement. Credonia learned about Dominic through the family and was eager to get him on their side. When word had come that he had started to waver in his faith after he had been passed over for a promotion to become bishop, she jumped on the opportunity to bring him into the fold, and she was successful. With an official priest in the movement, she was now starting to bring her dream of credibility to fruition. Not long after this, Friar Paul Ikazire joined the movement along with some other nuns and priests. As I was not raised Catholic, I wondered what the hierarchy is within the Catholic system and what the difference is between a friar and a priest. So, right at the top of the church is the Pope. He is the leader of the Catholic Church and resides in the Vatican in Italy. Under him are the Cardinals, who form the College of Cardinals, out of which the Pope is usually chosen. Then, we have the Archbishops, who oversee large areas of churches which are referred to as archdioceses. Under the archbishops are the bishops, who are the ministers who hold the full sacrament of holy orders. This basically means that they are empowered to ordain deacons, priests, and, with papal consent, other bishops. Next in order are priests. They are baptized men who have received the sacrament of holy orders and can perform duties such as preaching, perform baptisms, witness marriages, hear confessions, 
give absolutions, anoint the sick, and perform mass. Below priests are deacons. Deacons can only preach, perform baptisms, and witness Catholic marriages. Now, the difference between a friar and a priest is that friars are more like monks who are devoted to religious life. They are not tied to a monastery, but live and work among regular people in society. When Dominique joined, he and Credonia decided to formalize their teachings in the form of a book called A Timely Message from Heaven, The End of the Present Times. This was intended to guide all of their followers on their mission. In this book, they introduced the end of day's message and positioned themselves as being the new promised land. And this can be found in an excerpt from the text that I found, the heading of which is Uganda, a chosen nation, a new Israel. In this, it reads, quote, Uganda is the nation that the Lord has chosen to become the new Israel, the second Israel. It is the nation that is loved by God most. If Uganda accepts to comply with the messages coming from heaven, which are inviting all the people of the world to restore the Ten Commandments of God, then it is Uganda that will convert other nations. The Holy Spirit is manifesting His presence in all of this nation. If, on the other hand, she becomes obstinate and rejects the messages that are coming from heaven, she will be punished more than the other nations. All in all, the remedy that will guard against these chastisements is complete change of direction and returning to God by restoring all His Ten Commandments. The chastisements that have been mentioned are undoubtedly coming. Credonia then established her twelve apostles, six being men and six women. Credonia claimed that she was receiving messages directly from the Virgin Mary through normal objects like cups and plates. She would state that she received programs from heaven, thus she became known as the programmer. One of the programs that she received stated, quote, I've been receiving messages from God that the Virgin Mary is annoyed. People are sinning too much, and God is going to end the world because of the sins, end quote. Joseph was appointed as bishop and became known as the prophet and Dominic was appointed as vicar general in the movement. Each of the apostles would hold services at their respective homes, and devout followers would move in with them as well. Teresa and her children started to become disillusioned with Credonia. She, in turn, would turn against them and speak badly about them to Joseph and those followers who were residing on the property. She had defamed them so much that even the children of the followers did not trust them. Joseph's son, Mugambwa, stated, quote, When I offered them sweets, they refused, making a sign that I was Satan, end quote. Joseph started selling off some of his property, including the mill, and gave all of the proceeds to Credonia, which also angered the family. It all came to a head when Teresa came home one day to find that Credonia had burnt all of her clothes, Following this, Teresa and her children demanded that the woman leave the property, but Joseph refused. Eventually, in 1993, they managed to force the woman out by going to the authorities to remove them from the property, and when they did so, Joseph denounced his whole family and left with them. In our next episode, we will see where the movement ended up, 
what their beliefs were, what happened to them, and the aftermath thereof. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and rate and review us. It'll go a long way into improving the podcast and to help others find it. You can find us on Facebook at the Decoding Cult Group and you can email us at decodingcults at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If there are any topics around the workings of cults which you would like further explanation on, email us or post it in the Facebook group and I'll gladly spend more time or even an entire episode on these for you. The amazing logo art was created by the tattoo artist Jock Jacobs. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.